So why should a practice sign early? Well, there's a number of reasons for that, but it's it's pretty common sense relative to what else is out there. From our vantage point, once you know this is something that you want to do, you might as well get started on it. The earlier that you can work on establishing the right workflows, getting data aligned within your practice, coaching and training staff on potentially new behaviors, engaging your patients around this sort of work, the better. Welcome to the ACO Show. Today, Josh and Brian welcome Dan Bowles, Allidade's Chief Growth Officer, to discuss his career at Allidade and the changes that the value-based care movement has seen through the years. They also talk about the importance and positive impacts associated with signing up for an ACO even before the upcoming August 4th deadline. Hi, and welcome to the ACO Show. I'm Brian Chiglinski, Allidade's Senior Director of Content and Communications, and I'm joined as always by my trusty co-host, Dr. Josh Israel. Today, we're talking with Dan Bowles, Allidade's Chief Growth Officer. Dan's been with the company since its very earliest days and has touched nearly every role in the company. Today, we wanted to talk to him a little bit about what he's seeing across the landscape of value-based care, as well as specifically drilling down on the upcoming deadline for practices to sign up for an ACO through the Medicare Shared Savings Program. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, so as I mentioned, you were one of Allidade's first employees and you've basically touched every single role in the company on your on your way to your current role as chief growth officer in charge of kind of expanding Allidade's footprint and helping recruit more practices all across the country. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about the journey and kind of what you learned along the way? Sure. I was fortunate enough to meet Bob Kocher from Venrock and Farzad very early in the Allidade story, almost I think before there was an Allidade. And this was you know, 2013, 2014. We're still very much in the early days of the accountable care movement. And as someone that had spent you know, five or six years in finance and only a couple of years in healthcare policy at that point, it didn't really make sense to me that we were continuing to pay physicians the same, basically the same way we paid auto mechanics on a piecemeal rate with really no correlation to you know, whether they fixed the car or not and almost incentivizing them not to fix the car so that the car would have to come back to the shop. That just didn't make any sense to me. So this notion that there was a new payment model in which physicians and hospitals could potentially make more money by keeping patients healthy just seemed incredibly logical to me and, and was something that I was excited about and felt like I could you know, potentially leverage more of my you know, business finance background to help the company get going. So as soon as I was able to break free from you know prior commitments like graduate school and some other things, I joined early 2015. And my first stop was as an executive director for one of our very first ACOs that had three or four practices in Arkansas, three or four practices in central suburban Maryland, three or four practices in Staten Island, New York. It, it was it was quite an experience, not just getting in to the accountable care movement, but also you know trying to do so in three incredibly different geographies. The thing that was striking to me and was really, I think, instructive, not just for me, but for the rest of the company, was that that experience had much more commonality than you may think across those practices. I like to say the only thing that was different between them was the accents. Everyone was struggling with their electronic health record. Everyone was struggling to figure out how to you know, run a business on tight margins. Everyone was struggling with you know, health system competition, um, and everyone was you know, upset about their electronic health record or the health system or the payer 
you know, some combination thereof. When we actually got the physicians together in the same room, there were some pretty tight bonds established. That told me a couple of things. One, that there was a real appetite for what we were doing and that it didn't necessarily have a geographic bound. Uh, this is something that had appeal everywhere. And two, that we were onto something with respect to the customers we were pursuing, right? Like these practices really needed help and what they needed to escape was this old way of doing business. And instead, you know, think about different ways to reconfigure their workflows, really, you know, chart a path towards a more sustainable future. Since that time, I've, you know, kind of done a bunch of different things, was largely responsible for starting new states for Allidate. I helped, you know, launch and grow our presence in Arkansas and in Virginia, Maryland, in New Jersey, in North Carolina, some parts of West Virginia and a handful of other states. And then back in 20, late 2018, Farzad and Matt asked me to kind of spin off and build the first version of a formal growth team validate, which is really focused on just how do we stand up an operation to help bring in more practices. Um, and over the course of the last three or four years, I've been working hard with a lot of really good people to kind of find not only practices that look like those I started with, you know, in Arkansas, Maryland, and New York, but also identify new ways that we could grow and obviously continue to find ways to serve those practices and communities that they're in. Yeah, it's great. I love the kind of the road testing of this model in so many different geographies all at once and finding out just how common the frustrations of fee-for-service medicine are, especially among primary care professionals and, and the folks who are generally tasked with a system of helping to keep patients healthy. So let's focus. We, we've kind of talked about the past and, and the road that led us here. Let's get very present and future-oriented. There is a deadline coming up for the Medicare Shared Savings Program for primary care organizations, whether you're a health center or a primary care practice or a multi-specialty uh, clinic, and you're looking at this deadline to sign up for an accountable care organization uh, with Medicare. What is that deadline right now? Um, and you, you can maybe sense my heart racing a little bit more as we start to talk about the deadline. <laughs> Not um, to bring any stress into this uh, conversation, Dan, but what is this deadline? No, no stress whatsoever. The deadline this year is August the 4th at 12 Eastern. And I, I will, I'll make an important caveat around that deadline. There are, you know, kind of interim deadlines prior to that. There's one at the end of June. There's another one in July. Um, but ultimately, you know, everyone's shooting for that August the 4th at noon timeline. Great. And now that we've established that, why should everyone ignore that deadline and sign up for value-based care as soon as possible? Oh man, that is the operative question for everybody. So why should a practice sign early? Well, there's a number of reasons for that, but it's, it's pretty common sense relative to what else is out there. From our vantage point, once you know this is something that you want to do, you might as well get started on it the earlier that you can work on establishing the right workflows, getting data aligned within your practice, coaching and training staff on potentially new behaviors, engaging your patients around this sort of work, the better. For a couple of very specific reasons, most notably that this is the time for new participants to really shape what the benchmark could potentially look like for them in 2023. So the more time that you have to work on, you know, kind of what we call core for good, solid, comprehensive primary care, the better off you're going to be in the long run. And the second reason is that it does take some time to get all of the pieces in place. It takes some time to get the data aggregated. It takes some time to get, you know, kind of all the 
bells and whistles put on to, you know, kind of the broader apparatus of the practice. The more time you have to do that before January the 1st, when performance period starts, the more successful you're going to be in 2023. And really the last reason that comes to mind for me is about, you know, kind of making a commitment, right? Making a commitment to your staff, making a commitment to your patients, to your community, and really to yourself as a physician entrepreneur or, you know, physician executive at a practice, you know, you're, you're kind of sick and tired of the way that the old system works. This is your best opportunity to make a change for the future, for the good of your practice, for the good of your patients, good of your community. And we think that, you know, our track record really speaks for itself when it comes to not only the work that we do in the long run, but also the fact that getting started on it really helps, you know, kind of lay the foundation for good success. Yeah, and Elevate has been growing fast in the time that you've been here. And I know that growing an organization that's increasingly complex, like Allidade, takes vision, it takes strategy. I learned from you about Franklin Delano Roosevelt's famous napkin. So I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> First, maybe share with the broader audience what that is and what's on your napkin. Sure. So I'm a, I'm a student of many things, most notably history, and like many folks, kind of a, a nerd when it comes to World War II history. President Roosevelt, early, you know, in the, in the U.S. war effort, he's really trying to fight a battle on two different fronts, not only in, in Europe, but obviously in theater as well. And some point, I want to say 1943, 1944, he was caught writing on a little cocktail napkin, you know, a, a series of you know, kind of bullet points, if you will, on how we were going to win the war as a, a group of allied powers. And there, you know, I don't remember all the specific things on the napkin. It was like, you know, we're going to hold the Caucasus and we're going to attack through southern parts of Europe and we're going to attack, you know, by using the you know, island chain theory out, uh, out west. Um, we're going to hold some things in reserve because we know we're going to need, you know, additional assets downstream that we just don't quite know what to do with yet. And, you know, if you Google it, it it's out there on the internet. Just a little... I think what is a, a pretty cool kind of bit of history. In terms of our napkin for continuing to expand our mission to bring accountable care and good comprehensive primary care to as many communities and zip codes as we can, I think the things that we want to continue to do and hold on, to use the Roosevelt metaphor, is continuing to hold on to the work that we're doing with independent practices, community health nurses. Our foundational product, our foundational you know, kind of service offering is incredibly valuable to those types of practices. You know, the you know, fewer than 10 physician practice and, you know, that's been in a community for a long time. Um, the group of community health centers that's thinking about taking care of, you know, kind of underserved communities in their, you know, given geography. You know, our tools, our resources, our support was custom built for those organizations. And I think the you know, just doing more of what we already do is going to be not only incredibly impactful for Allidate's growth, but incredibly impactful to the country overall and the work that we want. You know, that's just the whole piece. In terms of, you know, kind of what's next or, you know, where do we want to attack, if you will, or, you know, be a little bit more direct with the new initiatives that we're thinking about. We want to try to find as many ways as possible to make it easy for physician practices to sign up. So this is a big leap in some respects, but it's not a big leap in others. And I think the more that we can do to, to make it easy and shrink the change for practices, 
the better it's going to be not only for us, but for them. So, you know, one of the things that we've done this year is we've removed all fees. Halliday does not charge practices anything. It's free, free to sign up, no hidden fees, no nothing. We don't make any money unless you make shared savings. That, that to me is the best value proposition in the industry. It's simple, it's clean, it's consistent. Another thing we're doing, a kind of new initiative is trying to make available as much information on the web as possible so practices can really learn at their own pace about what we do and how we do it so that when they're ready to talk, we can have a really efficient conversation because more often than not, they, they know what they want, they know what they need. And if we can give it to them, you know, kind of in a, in a way that meets their needs and their kind of learning style, um, it's just going to be better for them. And I think the last thing that we're really experimenting with this year in a bigger way than in years past is by providing upfront capital to practices. So, you know, we've kind of gone through, to mention something I said earlier, we've, we've gone from having, you know, a de minimis fee, having no fees, and now we're actually putting money into practices and making investments in their value-based care journey by helping to, to kind of offset the costs associated with uptake of value-based care. For some practices, this may not be relevant if they participated in a patient-centered medical home program or comprehensive primary care plus or some of the other federal or state programs that provided incentive money or you know, upfront grant dollars to practices. They may not need additional capital to make changes to their practice workflows. But for others, this capital can be incredibly meaningful. It can help smooth their transition away from traditional fee-for-service and into more of an outcomes-based payment model. Finality, you know, thankfully is, is big enough and successful enough to be able to leverage our balance sheet to invest alongside the practices with whom we partner already. I know we've gone back and forth on charging practices. You know, when I first started Allidade, we were not. And then there was some sense that maybe if practices weren't paying anything, they wouldn't value it as much. They didn't have any skin in the game. So we went back to charging and now we're not. I've wondered if even not charging just makes it sound too good to be true. Like our, our business model really is we don't succeed. We don't get paid until you get paid. And I wonder if, if that actually just induces some skepticism because it really just sounds, you know, I know it's corny. I know it sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, you know, an, an advertisement here, but it just sounds too good to be true. What, what do you hear when we talk about that? Yeah, there's some disbelief amongst practices, right? Like they, they read the contract very closely. Where, where are the hidden fees? Where are they? I know they're in here somewhere. And those are the cases in which we say, you know, look, we, we don't do well as an organization unless we're able to help you. We put our money where our mouth is. We put our effort where our mouth is, right? Like this is, this is all about kind of a big picture mission for us. This is not a financially oriented endeavor. This is about democratizing access as much as possible. So we want to try to remove all friction points, get rid of all the barriers. We did have de minimis per member per month fee earlier in our journey. That was really a selectivity fee I thought of, right? Like we wanted to be very selective about the organizations we worked with because we were still building. We, we were still trying to figure out what worked and what didn't. And it was very important for us to be really specific about fit in those instances, because if you give something away, it's sometimes difficult to drive engagement. And we needed practices to engage with us, to help us learn and to help us better serve them. So, you know, I always use the, you know, the toothbrush at the dentist analogy. You know, you get the, the free toothbrush on your way out the door. I don't know who uses those. But if, if you had to go buy one at the store, you rest assured you know where your toothbrush is. 
So we always had that dollar per member per month as the skin in the game, pay attention to me sort of endeavor. Now, quite frankly, the tools, the resources, the staff support, not only is, is so commonsensical that it, it sells itself to many practices and they see the value right up front, but also we're able to go in and identify you know, kind of near-term opportunities for these practices to address some shortfalls they may have experienced during the pandemic, right? Like COVID has, has had a whipsaw effect on the primary care physician market and it, it felt a little tone deaf for us to walk into a practice and say, hey, we know that you're struggling with cash flow. We know you're struggling with staffing. Pay us. When, quite frankly, we had already established a, a machine that we knew could help them immediately. So from my vantage point, you know, moving to, to no fees was an easy decision and, and really going all outcomes-based because it, was, it, it would really allow us to, to kind of help more practices in that way. Yeah, I love the the willingness to respond and adapt to the practices and the constantly learning from the back and forth from them, I think is one of the things that makes our model and our national footprint so impactful is that we have a population of geographically diverse, really, you know, innovative physicians who are constantly giving us information. And especially on the growth team, you lead a team that is working with all 50 states, all geographies, all types of practices and health centers, and really trying to learn both from the practices that are eager to jump into value-based care, as well as those that are pretty skeptical and, you know, have some questions about, about this movement and what it means for their practices. I just, there aren't many places that get that kind of a view of the value-based care landscape so comprehensively. One question for you is just, Pulling away from Allidade specifically, what is going on in the landscape and value-based care that's caught your attention, maybe surprised you a little bit lately? Yeah, if I reflect back on where we were seven years ago, things have changed pretty dramatically. Value-based care is a real thing. And some of that is by virtue of the success that Allidade and other of our fellow travelers have had. Some of the policy changes that were promulgated by the Obama administration and cemented under Trump. Um, and you know, reaffirmed under the Biden administration, put a solid foundation underneath the value-based movement and the the track records of organizations like Allidade, but you know, others speak for the success that's available. So I think there's been a big, broad push in a positive way in this direction that I think you know sustains the models going forward. The second piece that I would say is, you know, there's more options available to practices today than there really have ever been. Yes, the Medicare Shared Savings Program is still the largest and most successful outcomes-based payment model in America, but there are, you know, kind of new demonstration models. There's Primary Care First being sponsored by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, and now there's ACO Reach, which has obviously been kind of uh, adopted or adapted from the the old direct contracting model. And I think that the, the options available to practices now are more numerous than they've ever been. If I'm in a practice issues, the difficult part is to try to comb through and see what, you know, what are the real differences between these models? And I think in many respects, that's, you know, the devil's in the details. That's where a lot of practices should spend their time. I think at the end of the day, the same pressure points in the physician market prevail. You need economies of scale to be successful in these models. The question is, what do you have to give up? in order to get economies of scale. If you need a partner, you know, if you work for a health system, do you seek the employment route uh, to get access to these models? Do you seek, you know, some sort of 
you know, long-term investment model funded by Wall Street or, you know, other organizations? Or do you work with, you know, folks that want to give you, you know, kind of tools, resources, and share in the, in the outcomes? Those are three kind of very distinct ways of thinking about the world. And there are tremendous organizations operating within all of them. We obviously, you know, have a very particular point of view about what's, what's been most successful. But I think ultimately, you know, any physician practice uh, or community health center or health system for that matter needs to think about who they are, who they want to be long term, how they want to think about treating their patients, and ultimately, you know, kind of look at these models to see how it impacts that, as opposed to thinking about the model first and then reverse engineering your culture. So, I, you know, big picture, it, it's an incredibly exciting time to be a part of the value-based care movement. CMS wants every Medicare beneficiary to be in one of these by 2030. And we're going to have a whole bunch more Medicare beneficiaries as the baby boomers keep growing older. So I think this movement's going to get a lot bigger in the next, you know, five to 10 years. And I think the, the various models are going to continue to get more sophisticated. And hopefully the, the results are going to keep getting better and better for, for practices. For Dan Bowles, Chief Growth Officer at Allidade. Thanks for the tour of the landscape and the reminder about the upcoming deadline to sign up. Glad to have you on the show again. Absolutely. August 4th at 12 Eastern, if you're an independent physician practice, community health center, go to outreach at com or go to www.alladay.com or drop us a line some other way. We, we're, we're out there. We're looking forward to talking to you. Thank you. This episode of the ACO Show was produced by Leanne Prieti, Dan Ablin, and Alana Coogan. Our theme music is by Greg Berry. You can find previous episodes on our website, alladay.com, or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and join us next time.